Hello and welcome to episode 82 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. I'm your host Matthew Neugebauer coming to you on this July 16th, 2021. Yes, this is actually episode 82. I'm going to dive into uh, The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott. This is a High Republic podcast. I wonder if I should call it something like For Pete's Sake Stellan or, or something like that. No, I'm not going to. I'm going to stick with the tried and true FCSA. Before I dive into some questions about that, I, I do want to comment on Bad Batch this morning. Uh, Non-spoiler comment here, but uh, as with last week's episode, I was concerned about how uh, they would integrate these newer characters, new Bad Batch characters and Omega, into stories we already know from characters we've already seen. Last week, I felt it was a little awkward and off. This week really felt well meshed and well integrated. It make, made a lot of sense story-wise. It helped see characters in a new light. So what I... I mean, it's a two-part episode, and I think it's best to watch these two episodes together. Uh, that really alleviated my concerns, frankly. So that's a thought going forward. I'm going to give more thoughts, more comments um, on The Bad Batch as... It continues. I also do want to maybe come up, coming this Tuesday, dive into the Loki finale and Loki as a series as a whole. I'm doing this sort of off schedule. Uh, so, you know, this is on Friday because I wanted to get to, I finished Rising Storm and I want to get to that. And then maybe a quick turnaround with Loki on Tuesday or Wednesday. So see what happens there. Uh, getting back into the swing of things here at FCSA. I'm not going to do a poll list because I haven't, this read comics. Uh, I haven't read comics for about a week, so gonna hold off on that. Maybe until next next week's episode. But for now, I want to dive into the Rising Storm uh, somewhat briefly, and and hopefully also playing with episode lengths and see how how that works. Um, first off, I want to say, uh, and this will be a bit of this will be a spoilery reaction, spoilery comments. Um, so just a roadmap. I'm going to talk about the book as a whole in general and address the one question as the title suggests. Grand armies, grand visions, grand armies, um, standing army of the Republic. And uh, I'll get to that a little later on. First, I want to talk about the book as a whole. And even before that, the reaction to it <laughs> that people were posting the first weekend, they were saying, oh, it's also dark and gloomy and uh i remember one person or a lot well, not just one person a lot of people being all kevin scott what did you do you jerk kind of thing the jokingly saying that he's not a jerk he seems like quite the kind fellow <laughs> um but it, it, it's 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 quite the disastrous story and that prepared me for what was to come just in a lot of ways that you heard Daisy Ridley and, and Mark Hamill talk about The Last Jedi. People talking about The Rising Storm as being this this troubling, uh, disruptive story. And so that prepared me for the worst. Um, prepared me to for especially this Nile attack on Valo and the Republic Fair. And... Um, yeah, starting off, you know, I, I, I thought a few things going into this. I thought that the Nile 
were not the uh, were, were not the formidable enemy. I thought it might have been a bit of a fake out. And I'll get to a fake but things about fake outs in a minute. More fake outs. Uh, I thought there was a bit of a fake out at first. You know, in light of the Jedi, they aren't that formidable. They're, I mean, they're in retreat. They're easily defeated at that battle. I forget the the planet's name. The one that uh, Dromali ends up dying and Skier loses an arm, but that's kind of the worst that happens there. The real threat seemed to be the Drengir, especially in uh, in Claudia Gray's Into the Dark and uh, the Kevin Scott's High Republic comic. They seem to be the big bad, the one that we can't tame, we can't reason with, we can't really control, and that they're going to actually the ones to wreak havoc, and they're the ones to get to. Starlight Beacon, for example. So we're halfway through this. I'm halfway through this book, The Rising Storm, and they'd already presaged this, uh, you know, for, foreshadowed, you know, the Nile saying we're going to actually go. We weren't invited to this Republic Fair, but we're going to show up anyway. And that took me by surprise, just that they're the agents of such great devastation. Uh, on this Republic Fair that's supposed to be this great beacon, just like Starlight. It's great, one of the great works. Minnesota's great works. So, uh, this beacon of inclusion, of expansion, of look how great the Republic is, look how great the Jedi are, and it all comes crashing down. Literally <laughs> crashing down. You have Elzar tapping into the dark side and needing to do that to bring down this island floating island safely that's a an image of how the jedi and the republic fail to protect and defend this great vision this grand vision that lena so wants to project for the republic so here's the great fake out is we were we were told in the lead up to this the great disaster was supposed to be the great hyperspace disaster at hetzel and yet, uh, that really isn't that uh, much of a disaster. Yes, there's a big loss of life. Um, Hetzel's production is set back maybe a few decades, but the Republic rushes in to recover. More importantly, uh, Avar and the Jedi, they're really able to save the day. That, that ship does not crash into the sun. Yes, again, Jedi die. <laughs> they, they give their lives for this. It is a great sacrifice. Yes, citizens of the Hetzel system, they die. And that is a great tragedy. But thinking in terms of what kind of thing would bring the Jedi to their knees, bring the Republic to their knees, uh, this the Hetzel, the Hetzel disaster isn't it. The, you know, the legacy run disaster isn't it. They come, they really do save the day, and it's this really great rallying moment, rallying point for the Republic to say, look how great the Jedi are. The Jedi will say, thank you. I mean, some of them are saying, look how great we are, <laughs> but uh, eh, they wouldn't use that in so many words. They're a little more subtle. And uh, they're able to be the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. It is, in a way, another beacon that Lunaso didn't intend. 
the beacon that she does intend brings in spectators from across the galaxy. The great fair, people coming and wanting to have a lot of fun and enjoy and appreciate what the Republic as a whole has to offer. I'm talking about the, the Republic Fair on Valo. And so the Republic has, the galaxy has essentially come together in this, I guess, colony. I forget what, what region they're in. They've come together and uh, there they're the most vulnerable. And there is where the Nile really pushed their attack. Um, especially Panada and Lorna D. They're the ones who, that, that's where uh, they really bring a lot of the Republic to their knees in a way that they hadn't experienced before. It is the true great disaster. It is the true 9-11, if you will. And uh, the true moment, I mean, more than 9-11 in a way, the true moment where it's shown that the Jedi, maybe they, they do fail to be the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. And it, uh, it, it, it really brings up that question that Kevin Scott himself, um, you know, the, the great question that the High Republic is really exploring is what do the Jedi fear? And, you know, now I'm wondering, and maybe I've wondered this before, but they fear being unable to truly be the guardians of peace and justice. They fear that they can't actually step out. In a lot of ways, it's similar to what Luke is afraid of in The Last Jedi when he's saying it's time for the Jedi to end. They're afraid that their presence is ineffective. Luke is, of course, afraid that their presence is detrimental. There are some, I'm sure, who, who believe that and start to believe that. Here's the, the segue now. And so this brings up this really fascinating question within this book that we have with Senator Tia Toon and his proposal for the Republic Defense Coalition, or not the Republic Defense Coalition, a Republic Defense Force, a standing army to actually, standing civilian army to protect the Republic that is more unified, more organized than the Jedi combined with all of these ad hoc planetary defense organizations that come together in a Republic defense coalition, but it's nothing like a standing army for the Galactic Republic. And we're, whenever this comes up in the High Republic, our ears are meant to perk up. At least mine are going to perk up. Because, again, where, where do we see this coming to fruition finally is with, with well, I guess you'd say Sifo-Dyas, really with with Palpatine and Sidious and or Sidious and, and Tyrannus and the Grand Army of the Republic in the Clone Wars. And uh, it, to me, it's one of these things that points to this Senator Tia Toon's idea points to this beginning being the beginning of the end, this being this prequel proper. And what's different, of course, is uh, Tia Toon isn't, as far as we know, isn't out to destroy the Jedi. He isn't out to oppose the Jedi. 
we have a moment believe it's in uh in chapter 25 especially around page 186 187 of of the hard copy what he wants is the republic to be an equal more equal partner in defense in galactic uh yeah galactic security if you will um you know there there is this fascinating connection there's a through line here to another book of course with of Kevin Scott's that I've brought up a few times that's going to connect is Dooku Jedi Lost which we see Jedi Master Sifo Dyas having visions that are similar I think to Elzar's of uh, of the Jedi and the Republic breaking apart into in war and needing to defend themselves and this idea that the Jedi won't ever be capable of being the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. They need to be part of a standing army. And uh, and, and and what I should note there is Tia Toon, Senator Toon, you know, he, I'm sure he isn't the first to propose this. Uh, and of course we know he isn't the last, but you know, in the 800 years since the, uh, uh, the canon version, if you will, of the Rusan Reformations, whatever that is, I'm sure plenty of of folks have proposed this for positive, more more benevolent, quote unquote, uh, motives. Tiatun, he, he has mixed motives. Of course, Darth Sidious, he just wants to take the Jedi out and take power and create the Empire. Tiatun, I think, is, is fascinating because it's the most realistic. Right. On the one hand, I don't think he's capable of even imagining the Jedi truly being evil in this point. Darth Sidious, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. But for Tia Toon, at least we see on the surface here at face value in chapter 25, he, he respects the Jedi. He wants to work with the Jedi. He's part of the Republic. He's a Republic senator. It would be political suicide. For him to come out and say the Jedi are evil. He's taking a lot of political risk and getting so much political heat from Lena So, from the majority, for even suggesting that the Jedi are not fully capable of defending themselves, the galaxy on their own. But, you know, he he at least thinks this is what'll work the best. Um Obviously, on the side, he has the military-industrial complex thing going on. He has uh, this financial incentive to raise a standing army, you know, selling. I don't know if he's trafficking weapons, but there's definitely uh, he, he definitely stands to pocket from uh, arms manufacturer and uh, weapon and weapons and armor and, and uh, all the economic benefits that come with greater militarization but you know it, it, it's it's mixed it's on it's you know it kind of reminds me interestingly of um, what's going on in the bad batch with the Kaminoans, right on the one hand it, a little bit at least with um with the, the person watching over omega on the one hand they need to i mean they on the one they're definitely going to profit and prosper and most of the Kaminoans, they just want to make nice with the Empire to keep their business up and are fine with the atrocities that their their clones are, are doing. 
On the other hand, uh, in the name of creating these persons and creating, pursuing, exploring science, some of them are going to have a moral conscience, hopefully. So, Tia Toon, it is interesting, I think, again, to reiterate the connection with Sifo-Dyas and how uh, you know, this is, um, you know, there, there is a move among, you know, even among Jedi, probably, to, to see this as a potential good thing. What I think the biggest import here is it lays the seeds and lays the groundwork for in both the Jedi Order and the galaxy as a whole to come to accept this idea and to say, yeah, you know, by whenever three years before, well, what, by by the time of the Clone Wars, there's a, a great clone army that's randomly popped up out of nowhere to come to accept it because for, for, for the public as a whole to come to accept it, that the Jedi need to not just step aside necessarily, but to be part of it, to work with them because they've spent this 200 years really being pushed back and really being cloistered into this Coruscant temple while all these fires are going around, like while slavery is still going strong on Tatooine. While even we see in Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice, these massive corporations are really amassing all this power and wealth uh, some corporations that of course feed into then become part of the separatists and so there is there are those seeds and then seeds in the jedi council the seeds of doubt that they can be uh, the guardians of peace and justice that they need to actually take over and take charge of this clone army that is a standing army for the republic and that that's the only way to to fulfill their mission, to serve the light, and to keep the galaxy in the light. And I use that term light quite ironically and sarcastically because it's that conception of the light that people think is what's going on when people advocate for quote-unquote gray Jedi or thinking all light is quote-unquote dogmatic. I've gone over that plenty of times. I don't buy the idea that the light side is just another part form of quote-unquote evil that the jedi are blinded by their dogmatism no this is the seeds of the jedi being pulled towards the darkness that we see the shroud at the end of uh, well the, really the end of uh, of attack of the clones right and you know i'm gonna flip some pages part of the noise here because the point i'm ultimately driving at is, uh, you know, I think the, the argument that George Lucas is making and the argument that Kevin Scott is making, Kevin Scott, who, by the way, has studied religions and has studied religious history, is it didn't have to be this way. And it doesn't have to be this way. You know, this is a good uh, bit of interjection. I meant to say this at the top, but I'll say it fitted in now. It's a bit of a... Uh, not an aside, but a bit of a, uh, what's the word? Kind of a interjectional. I forget if I remember it, I'll figure it out. Anyway, I have said multiple times, this is actually really what it is, a bit of a retraction. I've said multiple times that 
things about when I talk about the residential schools and how and missionary efforts here in Canada and throughout the world, really, that indigenous communities, they say, they say, oh, we're grateful for the gospel, whatever. There's kind of a silver lining. Um, I need to stop saying that. That was wrong of me to say. I'm not the person to say that. When I I went to the Saskatchewan legislature and saw those knapsacks laid out, you know, we see the mass graves. There, there is no silver lining. There never is a silver lining towards genocide and mass murder. Uh, be it the clone army coming through, like we saw with the Bad Batch with Ryloth today, or the British army backed by and led by bishops and priests saying we're going to take uh, take these kids <laughs> and um, quote-unquote uh, civilize them we're take these kids and, and rob them of their culture and their heritage and their lives so i apologize for saying that because for for even coming to defend it because uh, in any sort of shade because it never had to be that way there never had to be a violent cultural genocide in fact that cultural genocide and what we're going to see right now is you know people say grateful for the gospel burning churches are what people think of the gospel right now people are it is a uh corruption of that witness to the good news it is not to be thanked <laughs> the residential schools that missionary presence is not to be thanked at least not by me not to defend it um, if you want to know what indigenous folks think and how they feel go ahead and ask them here's what coming back to the rising storm here here i think is the moral dilemma and the moral argument so i'm going to read from page 304 the beginning of chapter 48 jedi were taught to see the best in people from an early age friend or enemy all were to be respected the belief ran deep there was good in the darkest of hearts such conviction marked the jedi out from other force users they were always ready to give someone a second chance. They were always ready to try again. To do otherwise would have been a betrayal of, of everything the Order stood for. And this is, the context is Indira Stokes uh, flying in her, uh, <laughs> in, her, in her ship here. Um, so unfortunately, the Jedi occupied a universe that didn't share this sentiment. A universe that constantly tried to prove otherwise. The Jedi's greatest strength was also their weakness, a gap in their armor. At least so the thinking goes, and be it the Nile, be it the Separatists, you know, you could say this is a, a rough world and we gotta defend what we've got and do what we can. And here's my real question, though. 
why why give in to this idea that this is a weakness why give in to such a harsh realism without stepping forward and saying taking the prophetic stance of uh, what is the ideal and how do we work towards that why not why see it as a weakness at all why not take the prophetic stance that it doesn't have to be this way? And of course, this is a little different from the example of the residential schools. Um, you know, I guess the, the parallel would be, well, if the British don't come in, the French are going to come in, the French don't come in, Spanish are going to come in, whatever. But why, if the church doesn't cooperate, they're going to lose our, our standing in society. If we say this even now, right? If, um, if I'm not so quick to point out that the gospel, the indigenous communities are grateful for the gospel, or we're going to lose our relevance, and people are going to think we're all bad. And uh, by being so defensive, we lose our relevance because people aren't looking for an argument of people to be forced into uh, a position. They're looking for how compelling and compassionate compelling not to be compelled but in, in, a, in a violent sense but to be moved to be to understand to uh, empathize and we have to start <laughs> we have to be the ones to take that initiative there, there is the practicality of saving lives of continuing to act and operate in the moment and over time and that brings me to mind of, you know, of when it comes to money, when it comes to, say, reparations, and even just in a smaller sense of having to, to run churches like a business and, and having to care about the bottom line. Yes, there are those practicalities of continuing to operate over time. Um, you know, and, and so with, you know, with the church, we have this alliance between, uh, well, historically with the colonial powers. Now we have still an alliance with assumptions of capitalism and assumptions of development as growth, <laughs> as financial growth. And, um, you know, there, there is this element the question ultimately becomes, what is it rooted in? What is it motivated by? So what we're pressed with, both the church in our age and here in Canada and the Jedi of that time, is a real, uh, real sense of holiness. And by that I mean a clarity that distinguishes between motivations. You know, the, the motivation of a politics of fear and of scarcity that if we don't rush in to defend ourselves if we don't rush to create the standing army uh, if we don't rush to secure our alliance with uh, with the republic and the senate or with uh, parliament and with society as a whole um, uh, capitalist assumptions then we're going to die off we're just not going to be able to continue this church thing that we're doing. 
That's on the one hand. On the other hand, it's the real question of if we're so rooted in such an alliance that is corrupting us, is this church thing worth doing? Are we even really doing the church thing, the Jedi thing at all? Are we really submitting to the light? Are we really actually living lives that are then compelling and gripping, and not in a violent sense, but in a sense of inspiring and encouraging people to love one another and serve one another and build up a common life that worships God by seeking the welfare of our neighbor? That's the question really that is confronting the Jedi at this time, uh, confronting the church in our time. We see where the Jedi end up going, right? We see, well, I think we see multiple strands. We do see how they all retreat into the temple and hunker down. We have instances of Qui-Gon, like Qui-Gon and others, who uh, actually do want to pursue this more peaceable path, even if Qui-Gon himself is a little more rough and tumble anyways. We have even Yoda, and especially Mace Windu, who go along with this uh, with this army of the Republic, even to the point where uh, they're around the council, the, the, the great hologram that we see in Revenge of the Sith and in the Clone Wars finale, to a dark line of thought, this will carry us. Right? You know, preserving ourselves at what cost? And not heeding the fact, not heeding, to, to quote scripture here, Jesus' own promise that if we lose our lives for his sake, we will find it. So let's that see how uh, the High Republic continues to explore this theme. I do think there there's more to talk about in Rising Storm, so I will probably get to that in a few weeks, talking about Having talked about Loading Great Storm, having talked about Elzar and Stellan, I'm going to probably do one just of the Jedi Masters and the Hierarchy. I do want to talk about Loading specifically. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, I think that's a, a good time to, to call it and um, leave these reflections for another week. If you like what, you, what you've heard, if you like the length, it's a little shorter. Um, let me know at on Twitter at NEUG45. Give me a follow on Instagram at MNEUG1138. Check out my uh, churchy writing. Well, I'll get more up there. Luminous-beings.com This has been episode 82 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you always.